Welcome to When God Breaks Through, a podcast designed to look at the messy moments in motherhood and show how the gospel applies in practical ways, giving us hope and grace as we interact with our own kids. You'll hear crazy stories and life lessons from my mothering of eight kids. But more importantly, you'll hear the hope Jesus offers us for peace and not anxiety, for grace both for ourselves and to extend to our kids, and wisdom to point them to Him. I'm your host, Bethany Kimsey. Welcome back to The Kitchen Table. Continuing on the theme from last week of what I did not know about motherhood, this week we're going to be talking about 10 things I've learned that are important in the middle school years. I may do more of these in the future, but this one is pretty um, forward-facing, very obvious. We are now walking with our sixth, goodness, our sixth child through middle school years, and we're beginning to get some understanding and some ideas about this. It's only taken us six of these children to begin to have some, hmm, these are our most important things that we need to remember when we're interacting with our middle school kids, those tween year children. So we're going to go down. It's a list of 10 and we're going to talk about each one for just a few minutes. And then Um, from there afterwards, I just would love to hear your responses, to hear what you think, what are other truths that you have found that you have had to hold tight to, um, when parenting your middle school kids. And then also let me know if you want to hear this about another age or stage, because I can, there's lots of things I've learned as I've parented different ages and stages. Um, but for me, this one is very near and dear to my heart. And we're going to start with the first point that I've learned because it, I think, is the reason this stage is very near and dear to my heart. When you are a family who is seeking to show Jesus to your kids, so this is for someone listening who has said from the beginning or somewhere early on, I, I am going to show Jesus to my kids. And and so you are living life in that way. Your kids have kind of grown up inside of a faith atmosphere. These are the years where I believe we have to do some of the biggest work. If you're just coming to the faith and you have middle schoolers or you have high schoolers, it is true for you as well. But often what I think is when we're kind of inside of a faith environment, we just believe our kids are just going to keep holding on to what we've been telling them. And this first point, I had to learn the hard way with our first and our second and our third. They kind of come really, they're stacked really close together. And that is that identity is going to be the attack of the enemy. And it has to be the thing that we shore up and speak about on the daily with our kids. Identity. We need to help them understand that their identity is not determined by what they do, what they look like, who they're friends with, how many people talk to them, how good they are at school or at sports or at anything else that they do that their identity is solely based on what God says about them. And everything else is gravy. (laughs) Because when the gravy starts to turn bad, it's okay. We can throw it out. But if we think that that is what absolutely determines and dictates who we are, and it starts to go, 
For whatever reason, all of a sudden in middle school, friendships start shifting and changing, especially if you have a girl. That happens. In middle school, girls can be really, it can be hard. For boys, um, identity linked to athletics or linked to performance uh, becomes really can become a struggle because they're not performing well or as good as or somebody else is growing faster and so their athletic abilities are kicking in more or somebody else is really is thinking so much more um, advanced than than your child is and it's just a matter of growth and a matter of development but if that has always been part of their identity that they're so smart or they're so good at sports or they're so kind, or they're so pretty, or they're so funny, or they're so fill in the blank. If that is their identity, those things will fail them. And so we want to understand and we want to purpose, especially in those middle school years, to speak to our kids every day about who they are because of what God says about them. And the truth is this, your child was created uniquely by God for kingdom purpose, that he is pursuing them to redeem them, that they may know him intimately, they may follow him closely, and he will absolutely lead them in the way that they should go. Their future is assured if they are his. Their hope is secure in salvation if they are his. Jeremiah 29:11 becomes the lifeline verse for a saved person. Not because you're you have a hope in a future like you're going to be a CEO of a company and get into the best college. Your hope in a future is Jesus saved you and your future salvation is determined already. You are saved, you're secure and you're his. And you can rest. So identity has to be the first thing that we understand and that we engage with our kid about, especially in those middle school years. Number two, listening becomes super important. And I have had to learn the art of active listening. I'm not a very good listener. I'm not a good auditory processor at all. It would almost be better if my kids could like write me a note and slide me the note. I will hold that information longer and better. So I've had to actually work on listening. But we want to be active listeners, especially to our middle school kids, because their moments of opening up are not predictable. And if we are tied into other things in those moments, we will miss the opportunities that they give us to see their hearts. Number three kind of goes along with number two, and it is presence. We want to give them our presence. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we want to be accessible to them. We want to be good listeners. We want to come and choose to sit next to them, to come alongside of them in the kitchen while they're making their lunch, to join them in, you know, when you're riding in the car, choose to be present in that time and don't be in your head thinking about all the other things you have to do. I'm very guilty of this. Things are constantly running through my head all the time and I could fill every moment of every day with a task or a chore or a to-do list. But our children need our active presence because it's in those moments that they will crack open the doors that show us that, hey, they don't understand that their identity isn't in the way they did on that math test today. Or, hey, they don't, they don't understand that their identity isn't based on getting along with 
the cool kids that they used to get along with that now it feels like it's really hard or they don't know that they want to be friends with those kids anymore. Like we need to be actively listening, giving themselves our presence or we won't have identity conversations. So that's number three. Number four, it kind of goes along with this, but this was a struggle. And I think our older children would affirm that for my husband and me, this was a struggle that we have had to learn versus something that naturally we did as parents, which is tests, scores, activities, the importance of those things is secondary. It is secondary to an investment in their personhood. What do I mean by that? Well, when my, my, um, framework is that the way my children, the way my children test or the way they score on tests, the way they do, um, scores for college, ultimately, uh, the way they achieve academically or the way they achieve athletically is of most importance. So I'm pursuing that meaning even, even to the point of, um, just, uh, making sure that we have lots of study time and lots of, you know, going and doing all the sports. Like when that becomes primary, okay, what will happen is there will be a loss of the time for communicating into their personhood, into who they are, their identity, communicating into what we really value is a development of you as a person following your savior. That's what we really value. So yes, we're going to call you to do everything that you do, not as to man, but unto God, which means that the question in our home is, did you do your best? It may not be reflected on this test. This test may look like a C, but if you can honestly sit before me and go, yeah, but I did my best. Then what I'm really looking for, then okay. Then, then what I'm really looking for is that. Did you do your best? Because I'm looking to walk with you in such a way to develop your personhood, to develop your integrity, to develop your thought process, to develop a work ethic, to develop a desire to please God by what we do and shift that away from man's, you know, praise. Again, that's gravy in our identity. We want to be answering to the one. But that was hard for us in our parenting because it's easy when that child hands you over whatever and you know they're capable of an A paper and they hand you over a C or a D paper and and you knew they didn't study very well or they didn't take it very seriously or they didn't work very hard on it. They were just goofing with some of their friends, let's say. What really needs to happen is a conversation about personhood, not a lecture about getting good grades. However, I think we had to learn that in our home. So that was something with walking with a middle school kid that I had to learn. So number five, I had to learn the importance of delaying phone and social media. And I probably would have said, yeah, I get we shouldn't give them everything. But I did not understand the power when when our first um, two were coming up through the middle school years. We gave them phones younger than we are giving our kids now because we did not understand the power of, uh, social media over the heart 
of our child over the shifting in their identity, understanding of their identity, over the shifting in their personhood development. That there would be a um, area where this would become a problem more than this was of a help. And so we began to learn the importance of delaying those things and not being pressured either by our child because they're the only ones who don't have a phone or even by other friends who would say, I mean, what? I mean, what if you have to get in touch with them? And me being confident knowing, well, actually, they're on school. You know, they're, they're where other people are and they'll be able to get in touch with me and it's going to be okay. I can, I can walk with that confidently because I'm more interested in solidifying their identity before I hand them a phone and have social media, even text conversations begin to erode their understanding of who they are in Christ. So we, we needed to understand that for ourselves. Number six, in these middle school years, uh, this is where touch actually tends to go down the most with our kids. And what I mean by that, and it's where they need it the most. And what I mean by that is when you are a mom and you're raising these middle school boys, you know, sometimes it's because they're stinky. Sometimes it's just because they're getting to be awkward and maybe they're not sure if they want a hug from you. And obviously you have to learn the right settings to give your children a hug or a kiss. It's never appropriate. I have learned to hug, kiss, or act like we even know them sometimes in social settings when it's our, full of our kids' friends. But at the same time, our children really need to know that they are loved. And they need that communicated through touch. So just because my five-year-old, you know, he will naturally climb on my lap when he needs to have his love tank filled He'll be like, can I sit on your lap? I'm like, yeah, sit on my lap. And then, you know, he'll kind of lean in and we'll hug. Well, that doesn't work when your child is 13, right? Doesn't work at 12, doesn't even work at 10. Really, they've just gotten too big and it's gotten awkward. But walking up next to them as they're unloading the dishwasher and putting an arm around them and just kind of standing there, right? Telling them, hey, you know, I love you. And you are turning into just a great young man. I just wanted you to know that goes miles. But there is something that I had to learn about that because I didn't want to be like, I don't know, doing something I shouldn't or whatever, doing something he didn't want. Maybe he didn't want me to hug him because he was prickly earlier that day. He didn't really want me around him. Well, I need to pursue him just like God pursues us. And the same is true for my girls. When my girls are super prickly and stomping through the house with high drama and fussy hearts, when I come up in front of them and go, I think what you really need is you just need a hug. Genuinely, they'll go, no, I don't. No, I don't. I'll say, listen, I love you. Can I please give you a hug? Because I think you need one. And I will tell you, mama, that almost every single time, if you will just give a child a hug, that child will melt all that prickliness and hug you back. And going along with that, the trick I've learned about that is when you give your child a hug and they hug you back, let them be the one to stop hugging you. Because sometimes they need more than they realized. And they need that hug to last a little bit longer. 
So I've just learned to hug them. And then when they let go, I let go (laughs) because touch is important and we want to stay connected. And it just has to shift from when they're little bitties, but it doesn't end. So next on the list, find people to pour into your child and do life with them that are adults, that are your friends. What I mean by this is be proactive and be discerning about who your close friends are and seek out and ask God to give you friendships of people who are wise in the faith, who are committed to gospel truths and who will speak those gospel truths to your children, that they will get to know your kids, that they will love your kids, that they will be interested in your kids. A great sign for me is when I have a a good girlfriend that I know and she walks into my house and she sees one of my kids and she stops and she talks to them. How are you doing? What's going on? Oh, I heard your mom told me that you're doing this play or you're doing this. What do you think about it? Are you nervous? How can I pray for you in that? That. Those are the people you want to surround your children with. You know, there was a study once, and it was done, I don't know, in the last 10 years, because we heard about it when we were raising our first few kids, that in order for a child to walk in the faith as an adult, they need eight adults speaking gospel truths into their lives. And mama, you, and if you're married, if your husband is walking in the faith, you're two. You need to be active about surrounding your children with men and women who love Jesus and will speak into their lives. It will give you a bounty in the life of your child. Next, you need to know the parents of your friends. I learned this the one the hard way. We moved and went, um, our oldest two went into a, a school and they, this was our first experience into school from being in homeschool with our oldest two. And it was like, I mean, they were old enough to walk in by themselves. They're in high school. And so I never knew any of the parents of their friends. And I had, you know, you didn't get to know anybody because you weren't all walking in together like you did like in mom's day out in preschool, which was the last time I really walked into a class, a school. And so knowing the parents of your child's friends is vital. And again, maybe they're going to be part of your eight people that surround your child. But you also want to know if they're not. You also want to know what is being spoken into the friends of your kids. You may be the only voice speaking in to the friends of your kids the truth about who Jesus is. That may be your role. And there have been seasons where that is our role. Troy's in my role. We have had to speak into the lives of kids who had nobody else speaking into them. But it will help when your kids also know that, hey, all the moms talk. And they know where we are and they know what we're doing and they know what's going on. And they're engaged with us and helping us walk and learn how to be friends. Because in middle school, you learn how to be friends. You learn how to be kind when people aren't so kind. You learn how to not reject. You learn how to not um, embarrass. And these are skills that sadly, a lot of kids are growing up not learning. But when moms and dads are connected with one another and we're all speaking the same language and calling our kids to act in the same way, it's a beautiful thing. So this was something I really had to learn was to pursue the parents of my kids' friends. So number nine, I needed to learn to release my children to God. 
And this one was a biggie for me. Man, I wanted to control my kids in the way of how they were going to turn out. I would hear that in my head. I don't know if anybody else hears that in your head of, I just want my kids to turn out okay. I just want them to love Jesus. I just want them to do okay. And then I would own it. And yes, I mean, I can want that. That is a good desire. Oh man, I want my kids to love Jesus and walk with him all the days of their life. That is a good desire. But it is not my job. I cannot ensure that my kids love Jesus. I cannot force them to love Jesus. I cannot make them follow God's plan for their lives all their days of their life. I can't. I cannot. But I know the one who can. And God is faithful to our kids. And he invites us to release them to him. It is an opening of your hands and holding them out in open surrender, saying, God, they are yours. Let me walk with you as you walk with them. When we begin to do that release, when we begin to understand the beauty of relinquishing what we can't control anyway, there can be great joy. Because then we begin to look for and we have eyes to see God at work. And we see him at work and that gives us joy in our being. It Because remember, when we see God at work, that is his grace. That That is beautiful and our hearts will rejoice in that. But it is important that we release our children to him. Because he holds them anyway. Anything else is just us fooling ourselves. And then last, number 10. The last thing that I've learned, and we're going to spend a few minutes here. I have learned to pray for my children. I want to tell you a story. I really struggled with how do I pray for my kids? I, we went through a season where it was really bad in our family. We had a lot of drama, medical drama, scary drama, mental health drama. Like there was a lot of things going on. And a lie kept hitting my head, my, my brain. I would lay down at night and I would lay there and ask the Lord for to tend to what had happened that day and to work and to move and to heal and to change and to help. And I would plead with Jesus and cry with him. But the lie that would hit my head every night too was you're not doing it right and you're not doing it enough and you don't even know. And you, if you don't say it all, and ask for it all, it won't happen. And I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. It it may be solely mine. But the Lord began to work with me on this and say, Bethany, let's talk about how you pray for your children. And he began to teach me that there were many different ways to pray for my kids. Now, I call them I have silly names for a couple of them. And I will literally say to the Lord, Lord, this is a flare gun prayer. I am throwing a flare up and it's exploding with help me, please. Those prayers that we do when everything is all of a sudden exploding or you have no idea what you should say to your kid next or you cannot imagine what has just happened and you are, you've gone from being completely okay to completely in crisis. That's a flare gun prayer. And God says, absolutely, cry out to me, 
Call to me. Yell to me. I am listening to you and to these prayers and I will answer. I come from on high and I answer your prayers. And then I prayed these more like a shotgun prayer, which is like if you, you know, where you just spray out pellets and it hits everything. And, you know, I have eight kids. And so there's a lot of that kind of prayer. Lord, please help everybody today to be safe as they go about and do all the things they're doing today. Keep them all safe. Lord, protect all of their hearts. You know, and I am praying a prayer that sprays over them all. And again, God says yes to that prayer. He says, yes, Bethany, pray those prayers for your kids. There's a third kind of prayer. And to me, it is the prayer of the sword. It is done in close proximity with complete accuracy, driving straight to the point of the matter about one. And that is a prayer that says, God, I am praying this specifically for this child in this moment. I am standing on this truth in your word. We need you to move and to work. We need a miracle. We need your engagement here. We need, I need you to change this child's heart. I am asking that you would be in this moment very real or very close or, or whatever. And I will stand on a very specific word of God. And I am wanting to tell you that that truth out of all of these 10 truths probably is primary and identity is secondary. But you and I need to become prayer warriors on our kids' behalf. We have to fight in prayer for them. We have to fight very specifically in prayer for them with sword thrusts where we are standing in the word of God and we are saying this verse for my child right now, God, I pray. Knowing that you hear my cries, you attend to them, you answer them, and I can trust you for that. But we must become women who pray. So those are the top 10 things I've learned about walking with a middle school child. I hope you've enjoyed this. I would love to hear some other ideas that you have. I know the list could go on forever and ever. Probably we've learned, we're all learning so many things about our kids, but I also want to invite you. We are opening the warrior motherhood collective for the month of December. It is something we only open twice a year. And the design of this collective is to walk very specifically through concepts like this, but really get down into the nitty gritty of them, really get down into, so what Bible verse do I pray about this, Bethany? How do I pray this? In what way do I stand and speak truth? How do I tell them about their identity? I don't know the right words. Nobody's done this for me. That's what we do there. So I want to invite you to join us. It's a great group of women, and we meet twice a month. It's very easy to do, but it's also very rich and full of good truth from God. I look forward to um, meeting you there and getting to know you more personally. And as always, you can also reach out to me on Instagram. I would love to talk with you there. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When God Breaks Through. If you're wanting to connect with me and with other moms walking in the same messy moments, head over to BethanyKimsey.com. 
That's where you'll also find the show notes with any links, as well as more resources you can grab to help you see that when God breaks through, when we see Jesus at work, the fuzzy intersection of real-life mothering and the gospel becomes very clearly defined. We can walk with confidence and purpose. Have a grace-filled day.